Like I said, we're going to be studying out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to get your Bibles out and turn with me there. Uh, Starting a series on division doesn't sound like things are going well here, uh, but I'm not really starting this series because things are going uh, badly. I'm starting this series to make sure that they don't head that direction, um, and it's, it's always important to have these thoughts before us, so I'm looking forward to our study together as we consider uh, the danger of division from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 4. Uh, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, uh, you know that this is a congregation that has a lot of problems. Paul is uh, kind of laying out all of their problems and giving them a, a strong critique as you go through the book of Corinthians and helps them to understand where they're wrong about a lot of different things. Uh, But it's interesting that he starts the book with this topic of division, and he gives it so much attention at the first that there's four chapters devoted to this idea uh, that the Corinthians are a church full of division and divisiveness. Uh, It's something that has really plagued the church of the 20th century, the 21st century. It's something that has been a problem for a long time is that we tend to be divided uh, whenever we're supposed to be united. And so as we study together in this series, hopefully we'll understand the ins and outs of uh, divisive behavior and try to prevent ourselves from falling into traps and snares that Satan has set up for us so that we bring less glory to God and so that the reputation of this congregation Uh, falls in the eyes of of the people around us. Our goal is to be united on every front uh, and not to be divided. Uh, And that's hopefully uh, where we're at right now. I feel like that's where we're at right now. Uh, And that's hopefully where we'll be for many years to come so that God can be glorified. But as we open up 1 Corinthians, what we notice to start off with is Paul doesn't come right out on the offensive. Uh, He doesn't start with an attack against them because they're being divisive with one another. Uh, And you might think that because there's problems that he would address those immediately. But the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians are more of uh, a unity kind of a text. A text that tells us about the things that we have in common in Christ. And it makes sense as you open up the letter uh, to to just kind of prepare the way for all the things that are going to be said uh, about division and how you ought not to be divisive that Paul would start off explaining why it's important for us to be united. Uh, And that's exactly what he does in the first ten verses. So we're going to be studying that this evening, and I'm looking forward to it very much. Um, Have you ever been in uh, a congregation that has some divisive behavior going on? Have you ever experienced that uh, in your life? Have you ever been a part of maybe some divisiveness in some of the things that you've said and some of the things that you've done? Have you ever struggled to get along with people who are just not like you? They have different opinions than you do about certain things, and or maybe they're just different. Um, Sometimes that's the case. Well, in the first 10 verses, he tells us that in the body of Christ, we have some things that unite us that are very, very important, that are, that are things that we should dwell on and that we should think about. And so we're going to look at all of these things, three things specifically that he talks about. Start with me in verse 1. It says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place 
who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Let's stop right there. So, <coughs> oh man, I got a tickle. I think I got it. All right. Uh, notice in this text, he says to start off that these Christians, the church of God that is at Corinth, the Christians that meet there, are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They're called to be saints. That's who they are. Now, that's, that's what they've experienced as a church of Christ, a church of God, that they are sanctified. Now, what does that word mean? We don't use that word very often, but it means set apart for the gospel, set apart for salvation. These people are considered God's people, God's children, adopted into the kingdom and blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now, all of them have the same spiritual blessings as the church in Jerusalem, as the churches of Asia, as the churches of Macedonia. They have, they have the same spiritual blessings as everyone else. Even though whenever we open this book and we read through all of it, we see these people are loaded with problems. And these are Gentiles. But Paul doesn't care. At the very beginning of this letter, he, he knows all the things he's going to say later on in the letter. He knows all the problems that they have. But he says, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Salvation and sanctification are for you, Corinthians. Just like they're for everyone else who believes and puts on Christ. Who receives the grace of God that, that has been offered to them. They are united in that. You see how that salvation, that sanctification unites them. It binds them with everyone else who is undeserving, as we all are. There's a unity in the idea that we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And he wants to start off the letter pointing that out. You are called to be saints with all those who in every place... Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. You see the unity of the text, the, the pulling together. He wants to bring them in. You are not on an island by yourself, though it might feel like it, Corinthians. But you are a part of a much larger body of Christ. And you are united with all of them as the saved. That's who you are. That's your life. That's what you experience. You go to verse 5, it says... That in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. And there's a second thing that unites the Corinthians with everyone else. He says, in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, Notice there's an enriching that has happened in Corinth, an enriching that has happened really in all the churches, wherever Paul has gone, that he has passed on the, the spiritual gifts, which he'll talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, uh, that they all have spiritual gifts that have been given to them that has enriched them and their speech and their understanding and their knowledge has been enriched so that they have a greater knowledge, a greater understanding of who God is and, and, and the relationship that they share with God, uh, that God has enriched their lives just like he's enriched everybody's life. He's given them spiritual gifts just like he had given spiritual gifts all over the church in the first century. 
And, and they join in that understanding now of who God is. Now, we read this and we might think, well, we don't feel very united with the Corinthian church. Uh, unless we speak tongues or unless we prophesy. Some people feel like that's an important thing to do. Um, but really what we have is more valuable in some ways. Uh, not that we have the spiritual gifts, but we have the revelation of what those spiritual gifts brought. That the tongues would reveal God's will and God's, uh, what God has done in a different language. Well, we have many translations and a translation in our own language that we can read and understand what God's will is. The prophecies would, again, be instructing us on God's will in our life. And we have all these things written down for us. We have un unity in the revealed knowledge that we all have the same book to go to, that we believe in, that we put our trust in. This is God's will. And guess what? It's for you and it's for me. And I don't have a special book that you don't have. We all have the same revelation coming to us to understand God's will for our lives. And we're united in the understanding as we study it and we consider it uh, together. And that's what God desires from us. And that's what God desires for us, to have unity in our understanding. And we'll see that even more in just a moment. Finally, we notice something else. There at the end of verse 7, he kind of started to say it. Uh, notice verse 7 again. We'll read down through verse uh, 9. It says, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship, the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice here he says, you are waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you are, you are sanctified, what you're doing, you are being enriched with the knowledge of Jesus and of God and, and what you're hoping for, the revelation of Jesus coming back. And that's what you're, you're united in looking forward to that day when Jesus comes and you get to be with him forever. Everyone at that congregation has those three things, has the, the unity in those three things. And this third one is really fascinating, that they all together are looking forward to eternity. That they are all together looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and takes them up to be with them. And that's, and that's what they all have together. And, and I love these statements that he joins with this. He says, you're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, God is faithful by whom you were called in the fellowship of his son, the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You got to be kidding me. These guys are full of mistakes. They're full of problems. And, and he's not coming down hard on them at the beginning. Instead, he's telling them, God's going to take care of you. He's going to sustain you and he's going to make sure you're guiltless as you come before his throne through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's what they have uh, to look forward to is eternity with God, a fellowship uh, with his son and a fellowship with one another because they all have fellowship with his son. Do you see how this text is just saturated in ideas of, that are unifying, that that they together are, are 
set free from their sin. They're guiltless and they're, they're sanctified and they're taken care of and being blessed in every spiritual blessing. How wonderful this is to read this at the beginning of this letter. But then we get to verse 10. In verse 10, he begins the section that reveals problems. And the section lasts all the way until uh, the end of the book, pretty much. And whenever we read this, he says something really, really hard. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul is writing to a congregation in the first century, the Corinthian congregation, he's telling them, I'm appealing to you based on all those things that you have in common, that you all agree. Have you ever, I mean, we talked at the beginning about some divisive behavior and stuff, but have you ever just struggled to agree with somebody? I mean, how many times in life do we just disagree with people? Maybe you're a very agreeable person, but you have a line, right? We all have a line that we just, we just can't cross. It's, it's, it's too much to agree with this or to agree with that. And as we, as we come together as a, as a body of Christ, we have all these things in common, but we're not the same person, are we? You didn't have the same upbringing as I had. Uh, you don't have the same living situations that I have. You don't have the same family situations that I have. Uh, and you may not understand the job situations and the, the pressures that are being put on me. And you may not understand the way that I have learned the scriptures from all my life leading up to this day. And you may not agree with me on a few things. Yet here is Paul talking to a congregation that is much like our congregation. Congregation that is full of people from all different walks of life. And he's telling them, I'm appealing to you all to agree with one another. Wow. You continue, he says, and there be no divisions among you. How many divisions are allowed? <laughs> Can we just have a few? You know, like, no, none, zero divisions. How many times have you been around somebody uh, in the church and you kind of, wanted them out. We're not going to admit that, right? <laughs> but has there ever been a time when somebody has been uh, coming who has just something about them, maybe it's their attitude, maybe it's a belief that they have that they're pressing or something like that, you just kind of wish they'd go away, you know? Um, maybe on your worst days you wish they'd fall away. That's definitely not something that we should be thinking, but uh, you, just, you just don't want them to be here. And sometimes it's more difficult to live with them or to have them around than it would be if they just leave and go somewhere else. And that, he says, is not okay. That is a division that is in the congregation. He says there, there should be none of that. I'm, I'm appealing to you. Have no divisions. With anybody, no division at all. Can you say that right this moment, that you have no division with anyone else in this congregation, that you agree with all of them? Whew. Maybe that's a little bit too much. Well, it gets worse. 
He says, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. How do we do that? How do we do that? You're not me. I'm not you. <laughs> I mean, that is a difficult thing to call for. But what's even worse is that as he says all of this, if you go back to the beginning, he said it. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This appeal is not coming from Paul. It's not a personal preference that Paul has. I wish you guys would just not be divisive anymore. He says, I'm doing this by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means this is God's will. This is Jesus' will for the, the church at Corinth, not Paul's will, that there be no divisions, that everyone be in agreement, that everyone has the same mind and the same judgment. That is God's desire for the congregations throughout the world. That is our goal. That is our desire. That has to be our desire. Is it possible? Well, whenever we look at this text, I hope that we learn some very valuable and important things before we answer that question or think about that question at all. First of all, what a blessing it is to have such unity in some very, very important things. That we all can be sanctified. That, that you can look around at this congregation, at these people, and say, you know, I, I am sanctified. I'm a child of God. And you know what? You are too. We have that together. I don't have that with my neighbor. I don't have that with my coworker. I don't have that with even a family member at home. But I've got that with you. That, that we both are being enriched because we believe this and we're studying it. And we're here on a Sunday night and we're trying to figure out things. That we both have a love for the understanding and the knowledge of Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is that we have that unity and that, that desire. But even more than that, what a wonderful blessing it is to know that the person beside you has eternal hope too. And that all those people in the world that reject the truth, that think that they have eternal hope, because that has become the norm. Everybody thinks they've got eternal hope, right? The world tells them everybody's got eternal hope. You're all good people. You all go to heaven. Congratulations. Here's your sticker. We know that those who truly believe and truly desire to, to be with God forever and truly live for him and love him will be there. And as we look around, we don't know the hearts of the people here, but we can see a desire, a love for God inside of these people. And we can have assurance that Many, if not all, are going to be there with us in heaven. That the relationships we put the time and effort and, and sweat and tears in here on this earth will continue past this life. These commonalities ought to unite us and help us to grow closer to one another instead of away from one another. It's a wonderful thing. But we see that as we, as we read this text, the appeal to us is to go further than just that. Those are wonderful things. And as we look around, we're excited to be together, hopefully, because of the unity we share that we don't share with other people. We have a lot of things in common with other people, but we don't have these things. And these are the most important things to us. But This text calls for us to do more. To have an agreement with the same mind and judgment about what we do 
and how we live and, and how we work together as a congregation. That we would have an agreeable mindset, an agreeable mentality that thinks the best of other people and that desires for other people to get their way. Kind of a selflessness is what it's calling for. And I know that seems impossible to me. But if God is calling for us to do this, then it has to be on some level possible. And there may be things that we study together, like Revelation, which is coming up next month, <laughs> that we disagree on some of the things, and we're, we're struggling to interpret some of these things. But hopefully we can have a humility about ourselves to admit the difficulties of some of the things that we're studying and, and maybe say, I see your perspective, I see your point, I understand how that could be possible, and I'm not sure I 100% believe it yet, but I'm not sure I 100% believe this view either, and I'm just trying to make the best decisions, and we try to have this same mind that, okay, we, we understand each other, we love each other, we know that we're not twisting scriptures or trying to, to mess things up or anything like that, and overall our agreement and our, our mind is is to have the same united front as we go out and do the work that God has called us to do. There may be people who have different ways of doing things and different beliefs, but it doesn't mean that we have to dis be disagreeable against them. We can have a, an open mind, an open heart, a humility about us, and really that's what we're looking for. So as we try to apply this text to ourselves, I want us to think are you grateful for the relationship, the fellowship that you have with the people around you? Because that's what God is desiring to see in us. A gratitude that, that there are people out there like me. I'm not alone in this world. <laughs> I shouldn't feel alone as I come into this place that has a lot of people who love God and are trying to do all the things that God wants them to do. I should not feel alone. I need to spend some time thinking about how closely I'm related to you in so many different ways instead of just focusing in on some things that are different about us. Yeah, there, there's, there's differences among us, but not like the differences of the people out there in the world who don't care about God. We have a lot that unites us. We have a lot of things in common. And we need to dwell on those things and be excited about those things in order for the relationships to progress, in order for us to come to a point of greater agreement, of a unity of mind, and a zeal and a love for one another that's, that's deep and a fellowship. And that's what we're desiring, and that's what God is desiring for us to have. So we have to decide and think about how are we going to respond when disagreements come. There's a lot of different ways we can respond. We can get our feelings hurt, as I have plenty of times. We can spout out whatever's on our mind and let that tongue roam. Or we could have a, a pause for just a moment and ask for help from God. As we talked about this morning, abiding in Christ, seeking His help, seeking His assistance and dealing with the thing that I don't quite agree with my brother on, seeking wisdom, seeking humility, seeking the ability to discern what the right answer is in this situation. 
We need to have that level of spiritual maturity. And ultimately, as we study through the rest of these four chapters, that's what we're going to see is missing from the church in Corinth. And I hope that that's not missing here. I don't think it is. I think we've grown enormously uh, since, I've, since I've been here. And that's no credit to me. I've just seen so many studying and learning and, and developing and dealing with a lot of uh, you know, things that we're struggling with. But that's exactly what God desires. As we read this text, that there be uh, no divisions in a world of division. <laughs> that's a challenge to us. And I hope that we're up for the challenge. I hope that we're ready to join together and to accomplish the work that God has called us to do. Uh, because that's ultimately what brings God the most glory. And after all that he's done for us in sanctifying us and enriching us with understanding and in providing every spiritual blessing that we desire and every hope of life after this life uh, is over, I think we should do this with joy and excitement. That even though people are different than me, I can love them as God has loved me. Because I am very different from God. Uh, but I'm trying to be more and more like Him. I'm trying to come closer to who He is. And that's exactly what we should be doing with one another. If you're here tonight and you are not uh, desiring to please God, you've not been living your life united with Him, sanctified uh, through the blood of Jesus, you've not... Called, him, called on Him for your salvation. You've not entrusted Him with your life. We want to give you an opportunity tonight to do that. Uh, if you are struggling with your relationships with your brethren, struggling to be united with one another and have the same mind, you're not alone. <laughs> this is not an easy thing. And there are, there are moments when there are devi there's divisiveness that pops up and we have to work on that and grow through that and be patient with one another. But if you have any need for prayers or if you need uh, help or have any questions, my door's always open. You don't just have to come forward. That's kind of uncomfortable sometimes, but you're welcome to. If you need it right now, let the congregation know what you need, and we'll be happy to help you. Uh, please let us know as, as we stand and as we sing.